welcome to Your Financial Planet podcast with David Valliere and the Synergy Capital Solutions team. This is the show that brings you synergistic financial strategies to help you enjoy the fullness of today and empower your next generation. Join us for this journey to help you synergize your finances. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Your Financial Planet. I'm your host, David Valliere. And uh, so in our last podcast, we had Rick Schloss and Jordan Andrusiak on to give us an update on some of the potential changes that we might be seeing with this new administration. And we covered a lot of ground. So today I've asked both back with the hopes that we can review some of what we covered because there was a lot of material there and then take a deeper dive, maybe give some examples on some of the content areas. So with that, Jordan, Rick, welcome back to the show. Thank you, David. I really appreciate it, and I enjoy doing these. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Not always fun with the changes that we're talking about, but it is fun to kind of see how we can strategize our way through it and, and help folks uh, be proactive. Yeah, it helps to keep me employed. Yeah. <laughs> All of us, right? All of us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's right. That's right. So as mentioned, we covered a lot of ground in our last conversation. We we talked a little bit about potential income tax changes, gift tax changes, estate tax, maybe possible elimination of the step-up basis, uh, cost basis, and more. <laughs> so what I was hoping to do today is, like I said on the, the intro, is just step back a little bit, kind of move a little bit slower, and review a little bit of what we covered in the last conversation and then talk about timing of these new potential tax legislations, as well as what we can do to strategize around that. So with that, Jordan, let me bring it to you. Talk to us about, or give us some of the background and potential timing of the new tax legislation around federal state tax, gift taxes, et cetera. Okay, yeah. So just a little bit of the background and a summary of what we talked about last time. There's a a 50-50 split in the Senate. 60 votes are needed to pass any new tax legislation specifically. However, there is a reconciliation process that can be used to make a 50-50 vote with the vice president breaking the tie. This can happen after the start of the next fiscal year, which is October 1st of this year of 2021. And for this to happen, there would have to be certain Democratic senators that will have to be appeased in terms of their needs and desires, so to speak. Most likely, any new legislation that would be passed would either be later this year or next year into 2022, with an effective date of no earlier than January 1st of 2022, with some potential caveats for the most part. That's kind of uh, that's kind of where we're at. You know, some income tax changes could be a possible exception to that January 1st, 2022 date. That's okay. a little bit of kind of the background and timing. Yeah, that's helpful. I appreciate that. So Rick, let me bring it to you and just remind us, what are some of the actual proposals out there? Happy to do that. Uh, let me just backtrack for one second to just add to something that Jordan said. The big holdout for some of the Democratic senators is they want to get rid of the limitation on the SALT deduction. So that's a big sticking point with them. So if that gets resolved, then they may be on board. So as far as the changes, the exemption is likely to decrease from its present $11.7 million 
two, three and a half million dollars per individual or 23.4 million uh, and 7 million for a married couple. Therefore, clients who thought uh, they would never have an estate tax issue and could plan accordingly may be now subject to the federal estate tax. By the way, that 3.5 million is back from 2009. So also the federal estate tax rate will increase from 40% to a minimum of 45%, and even beyond that to 65% for large estates if Senator Sanders and others have their way. For very wealthy individuals, the rate increase, especially if it goes up close to that 65% rate, is much more important than the exemption reduction. As far as the gift tax exemption, Instead of being unified with the federal estate tax exemption, it will now be a million dollars. Furthermore, the annual gift tax exclusion of $15,000, a present one of $15,000, which can be used to make gifts to an unlimited amount of a number of individuals without eating into the lifetime exemption, will be limited to twice the annual exclusion for all gifts made by a donor. So exclusion is 15,000, double that's 30. So a donor would only be able to make $30,000 of gifts tax-free. And as David mentioned, the step up in basis of debt, which allows an heir to sell assets without paying tax on the appreciation over the owner's lifetime may be eliminated. Currently, the taxpayer's unrealized capital gains at time of death are not subject to capital gains tax, and the beneficiaries of the estate receive a new basis in those assets equal to fair market value of date of death. They tried this before, it never stuck, and now it's back on the table again. And finally, discounting techniques for gift as well as estate taxes may be eliminated for non-business assets. Okay, so that's a really helpful review. I appreciate that. Jordan, let me bring it back to you and let's put that in context for our listeners. Maybe give an example or we can talk around a scenario, hypothetical or actual. If it's actual, obviously we'll keep that confidential, but give us an example so that we can kind of paint a picture for our listeners how this might impact them. Sure, yeah. So using a, a completely hypothetical client where these changes would have a large impact, kind of the client case would look something like a client and a spouse who are both retired and therefore drawing down assets from their marketable securities, from their taxable and tax-deferred investments. Let's say they have roughly a $10 million estate now, which is projected to be about $15 million at their death, which is about 30 years from now. And that's you know based upon market fluctuations plus inflation, of course, minus, you know, the distributions they're taking out. The key here is that at that 15 million projection and 10 million now, they would have been well underneath that 23.4 million federal tax, estate tax exemption. But now they may be subject to that with about 50% of their estate when it's over that 7 million exemption. So, some other aspects of this client are they are funding their lifestyle by pulling dividends and interest and some principal from equalized revocable living trusts. And then they're taking required distributions from IRAs. 
but they have two kids, four grandchildren. They own two properties, so a sizable primary residence and then another a lake home, which is a, often an occurrence we see here in Michigan with our many lakes. But they also are assisting their kids with some living expenses. So around 40K each year for each immediate child for a total of about $80,000 a year. And then they're funding 529 plans for their grandkids' future college expenses. Let's say they're funding each grandchild at you know at the uh, amount of about 5k a year. That's another 20 grand of gifting and expenses there. They also have a life insurance policy that is owned within an irrevocable life insurance trust, and the premiums are paid each year using gifting through Crummy Power. So as you can see, kind of those. Last three aspects are are really around that gift tax side of the equation. Okay, so let's unpack that. Let's talk about what that client scenario might be thinking about for the rest of 2021, and then we'll extend past that. Perfect. Yeah, first and foremost, they should get with their financial advisor, their accountant, and their estate planning attorney. They will actually need this entire team's input to come up with what the best outcome is for their personal financial and estate planning life. Ultimately, their financial advisor can help them verify and their accountant can help them verify what are they able to comfortably give away today without harming their future lifestyle. Um, The thing to keep in mind is that budgeting and financial projections need to be a part of this plan. Taxes are not the only consideration when it comes to looking at what to do on the estate planning, you know, federal state tax side of everything. Jordan, let me just interrupt because when we do plans, we always give the clients the options. And I have Mm -hmm. had clients tell me, Rick, thank you for advising me how I can save taxes, but I understand that I don't want to do it. So that's, again, exactly the issue that taxes don't necessarily drive everything. Yeah, (laughs) great point, for sure. No, I I completely agree. And I think that's why it's really important to work with all three advisors, um, really working with that team, kind of walking through all of those aspects, uh, because it's not a one-legged stool, so to speak. So in this client's case that we talked about, their state planning attorney most likely then look to create a trust for their children and or grandchildren in order to utilize some of that current lifetime exemption, which is in line with that $23.4 million for a client and a spouse. This can help accomplish some asset protection, of course, estate tax planning, maybe even some succession planning if there's businesses involved, as well as other objectives for clients. And this can also apply to clients with more moderate wealth than, say, that 10 to 15 million range. Okay. So, Rick, same question to you. From your perspective, what should these clients in this hypothetical scenario be thinking about for the remainder of 21? I'll give you some examples. I just wanted to point out one thing, though, because Jordan brought up a very important point. Mm-hmm. And the point was that this client who thought they were not going to ever have a federal state tax issue all of a sudden because of the exemption reduction would. So let's just use her numbers that she put out of a $15 million estate and a $7 million exemption. That would leave an $8 million taxable estate after the second death. And if you only apply the 45% rate, you're talking about $3,600,000 in taxes that under current law wouldn't be paid, but because of the change in the law would. So 
that really highlights the number and and the potential for what could happen to a client who's got a nice size estate. And can I just interject a point there as I'm thinking about it? And that really is just at the federal level, dependent upon where the estate is, if it's in, you know, a, a higher estate litigious, litigious state, <laughs> easy for me to say, yeah. but you know, New York, New Jersey might have, right. they have different state estate tax laws that would apply there as well. Yes. And that's a potential also. So obviously there's other considerations about that client that Jordan talked about, you know, making gifts and making regular gifts to 529 plans or to assist their kids that now they wouldn't have that exact, that annual exclusion exemption available so they could do it tax-free. So, and then plus the funding of the irrevocable life insurance trust, which we'll talk about in a minute, and now having a big gift tax on, on those contributions. So that's just some of the consequences for that one client. So what should we do? How do we how do we solve these problems? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure you're looking for the. Uh, well, I'm sure you're looking for the one solution. So one is a client could benefit from what we call a SLAT, which is a spousal limited access trust, to again use part or all of their lifetime exemption that will avoid tax at the spouse's death. So this is an irrevocable trust that the one of the spouses sets up for the benefit of the other spouse and contributes up to the that spouse's lifetime exemption sufficient assets. The trust may allow very broad control to the spouse, but still not be included in the donor spouse's estate tax purposes. So you are giving away your assets, but you are not really. Since the spouse who's the beneficiary of the trust could always take a distribution and give money back to the grantor spouse if needed. The spouse could be a discretionary beneficiary, perhaps with children or grandchildren as second beneficiaries. The assets in the future appreciation after you make that contribution could eventually pass to children, grandchildren, or future generations free of estate tax. The spouse can be the trustee as long as the distributions are limited by what they call a HEMS standard, which is health, education, maintenance, and support. For my preference to be safe, a trustee other than the spouse should be named, and the distribution should be discretionary with the trustee. There are also provisions that can be included if the spouse, the donor, the spouse, the beneficiary of the trust, predeceases the grantor, or if there's a divorce. Obviously, these two issues for the grantor spouse, what if my spouse dies, and what if I get divorced from my spouse? These are going to be great concerns, and there are uh, things that can be addressed within the trust or outside of it. Interesting, yeah. So now we, we also have in this scenario real estate. Talk to me a little bit about what the clients should be thinking about, about their real estate. Well, this is, we've done this a lot with clients under current planning. So you set up a family limited liability company or limited partnership. You transfer the real estate or securities to it, and you give the interest in the LLC or limited partnership to your children. 
you can retain legal control while gifting away a substantial majority of the equity interests. And when valuing the gift for gift tax purposes, you can take advantage right now of available discounts for lack of control. That means that the kids don't have control and lack of marketability that they can't just go out and transfer their interests. Base clients that I've had experience with and having valuations done by competent appraisers, these discounts can approximate 30 to 35%, allowing you to give away more of the value without utilizing all of your gift tax exemption. So you're taking advantage of two things, a current higher gift tax exemption, which is now unified with the estate tax exemption, and an ability to discount the value of your gifts. With these two things likely not to survive under the proposed new tax legislation. The proposed legislation takes deadly aim at the heart of valuation discounts for non-business assets, which is defined to mean any asset which is not used in the active conduct of one or more trades or business. A typical example is the client in, in Jordan's example had real estate. So let's assume you have a client who wants to make a gift of her interest in real estate LLCs that own, say, neighborhood shopping center. She's not actively involved in the day-to-day working of the LLC. It's run by an outside management company. She really has nothing to do with it. She's a passive investor. Her, her interest in the LLC is restricted by an operating agreement that limits her ability to sell her interest or control the entities. In this case, the real estate is a non-business asset because the client does not materially participate. That's a legal tax term. And therefore, under the proposed act, no discount would be allowed. However, if it's a business, if you have an actual operating business, then the discount would be allowed. And it would be allowed. Let's assume you have a very successful business and they've been retaining cash and they've invested it. So they have on their balance sheet a large amount of cash and marketable securities that they don't need for their daily working capital needs. That is not defined as a business asset. So if you went to appraise a gift of the business, interest, you would be able to take a discount for the gift of the business interest, but not for that portion of the business, which is in cash or marketable securities. So now any appraisal of the business will involve two, not one appraisal, one for the business and then one for the non-business assets. And finally, the restrictions on valuation discounts only apply if an entity is controlled by a member of the same family, ancestor, lineal descendants of such individual, spouse, or a parent, or the spouse of any lineal descendants. So basically, where we could, that currently can, gift interest among family members and still get a discount, that would go away under the proposed legislation. Yeah, that's a big change. Big change. 
Yeah, big change. Jordan, so in this scenario, you mentioned you mentioned a life insurance trust, irrevocable life insurance trust. Sometimes we refer, refer to them as islets. Explain, if you don't mind, to our listeners what an islet is, how it works, and then how that might be impacted here. Of course. Yeah, so to give a little background here, an islet or an irrevocable life insurance trust It's been a common estate planning technique for many years. Ultimately, an irrevocable trust is established that then owns a life insurance policy on the client or the client's spouse's life. Most of them are set up as grantor trusts, which allows for the income generated by the islet to be taxable back to the grantor, i.e. the client or the client's spouse, compared to the trust itself or the trust beneficiaries. They also allow for the proceeds of the underlying life insurance policy to be excluded from the insured's estate. So again, the client or the client's spouse's estate at the end of the day. Okay, Rick, your thoughts on islets. What changes are we thinking about here? Well, this is a big change. We have, uh, I have many clients that we established irrevocable trust for that we told that at their death, the proceeds of the life insurance would not be included in their estate or their spouse's estate and would go tax-free to their kids. Under the proposed act, grantor trusts, which most life insurance trusts are, and the assets, including the life insurance proceeds, would now be taxable upon the death of the insured. The Obama administration exempted islets from any changes in their proposals, but this exclusion did not find its way into the Sanders bill. Fortunately, grantor trusts, including pilots or revocable life insurance trusts that are established prior to the enactment of the new act will not suffer from this terrible result, although new additions to the trust are not grandfathered. Also, The premiums on the life insurance policy, we made these by annual gifts by the grantor to the trustee of the irrevocable trust using the available annual gift tax exclusions. And then we went through this thing of issuing what we called annual demand or crummy letters, which allowed the beneficiaries to withdraw the amount that the grantor uh, contributed to the trust to pay the premium within a certain time period, say 30 days. And if they didn't, then it was uh, used to pay the premiums. This was to, without getting really technical, to make sure that the contribution qualified for the annual gift tax exclusion. So what I said near the beginning of this talk was we're going to have an annual We're going to have a cap on annual gift tax exclusions. So it may be advantageous now to overfund an irrevocable trust using your present annual exclusion gifts and your unused gift tax exemption, your large one, so that the irrevocable trust will have premium dollars for years to come. The good thing, though, is that the Act does get rid of this, what they call present interest issue and gets rid of what they call crummy letters. So practitioners don't have to worry about clients not sending these letters out every year. However, most trusts require these letters to be sent out. 
So practitioners may still have to prepare these letters, even though under the new act, they won't be required. Okay. <laughs> this is very important, and what I'm going to say next. These special rules for grantor trusts are effective upon enactment of the act, not January 1, 2022, as the other provisions regarding the state tax. Therefore, if they pass the act prior to the end of the year, then these provisions could go in effect before the end of the year. So there's a tremendous incentive without delay to consider funding these trusts or setting up a new trust right now to own a life insurance policy on either the one spouse or both spouses' lives. I can't emphasize that enough. Understood. Yeah, that's a big deal. We need to be paying attention to it. Yep. Exactly. So for our client case that we kind of, that we mentioned, we ultimately would want to make sure to gift enough assets into the islet to fund future premiums. If those future premiums are a above and beyond that two times exemption limit, which would be about 30 K and, or we're going to gift to the other, you know, the assets outright to continue the assistance for the children in the case that we talked about. Remember, we talked about how those kids are having some support from their parents. And so we want to make sure we're taking advantage of the current lifetime gifting exemption now, especially in the islet, to keep that policy afloat and give us more flexibility in the future to continue to gift for lifestyle needs. Understood. So after all of this, this is where we are today. I mean, we know what the present law is. We know what the proposals are, but what I've learned from my many years of experience, when you have proposed legislation, what ends up is not necessarily, it never ends up how it starts. So we're not sure where it's going to happen going forward. And ultimately, the clients and the advisory team really have to work together to navigate these changes as they develop. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, as, as we're talking through our last conversation and this conversation, you know, any advice that I would give to listeners is make sure there's a coordinated effort here. You're paying professionals like Synergy, like Rick, CPA. Let's make sure all the, the stakeholders are at the table to make sure that it's a collaborative effort and we're looking at things from the tax benefits, the legal benefits, the financial benefits to make sure that the steps that are being taken are definitely moving you in the right direction. As Rick said, this proposed legislation comes to the table and as it rises to the surface, what it actually looks like, you know, we're gonna have to be paying close attention so that we can react quickly. Jordan, Rick, any closing thoughts here? No, I mean, I just, you know, it's because of the complexities of the law, this is not, one size fits all clients, and each client's an individual, and they have tolerance, you know, for different planning techniques and gifts and how much they want to give away and, and, and their particular family situations. So it's really an individual plan for each client. Great point. Great point. Yeah. Thank you both for joining us. For our listeners, if you would like to get in touch with, with Jordan, myself, anyone at the Synergy team, or Rick, 
You can reach out directly to Synergy at hello, H-E-L-L-O, at Synergy Capital Solutions. Or as always, this podcast, you can subscribe and can be picked up at Spotify, Google Play, on our website, or wherever you choose to pick up your podcasts. Our website is SynergyCapitalSolutions.com. So please make sure you subscribe or forward to friends. And we thank you for your time, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Planet, the Synergize Your Capital podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Synergy Capital Solutions is a financial planning and investment management firm registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC, Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Synergy Capital Solutions and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data or other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Synergy Capital Solutions and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisors before establishing a retirement plan.